Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Noon. It's time for the AltaCast here on Mutiny Radio. Latoya, the Sheriff of Truth, is being a champion. It's midnight for Cinderella. She's getting us some black coffee. That's right. Should have said midnight for Cinderella after black coffee. Would have been a better joke. Hey, everybody, it's High Noon. Welcome to the AltaCast. You want to see something cool? Go to Piano Fight tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. See some cool sketch comedy. Edna in a bottle. I'm in it. It's going to be weird. It's weird. Sketch comedy is so different than stand-up comedy. It is so different, and it is so difficult. You have to memorize a lot of stuff. Saturday Night Live, I don't know if they have teleprompters or if they just have to mem- if they actually legitimately memorize everything. They probably do. I don't know. When I was a kid... When I was in high school, if you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I'd say, I want to be on Saturday Night Live. But I've never done sketch comedy before. Like, never. So, now I am. Uh, 45 years old. Sketch comedy! Yeah, sure, let's do it! Well, I memorized my lines. I'm ready to rock. I have a lot of scenes. So come to Piano Fight, the 23rd Thursday at 10 o'clock and the 31st of Friday at 10 o'clock. I hope that you all join me. It's gonna be fun. All right, we're waiting for the coffee. We've got news for you. Things are going on in the world. It, are they? I, I, I'm, I've been buried in like rehearsal and 
life and stuff like that. So I haven't really paid attention. Another exciting thing I had the opportunity of seeing this week was Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, or Cursed Child, depending on if you want to have a little English accent with it, shall we? Yes. It was really good. We didn't watch, we didn't get to do the first half because um, I had rehearsal. But the second half was great. It was really dark and very scary. I'm sure that the first half was a lot brighter and like, look, we're at school and everything's fun. And la 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 la. Harry Potter is the one. It was amazing to me that they had a six hour play. Uh, the first part is from like one to four o'clock and then they give you a two and a half hour dinner break and then you come back at 6.30 for the second half and we got out at 9.15. It was crazy. There are kids there, kids that watched a six hour play. Hey, bring theater back. If that's the way to do it, I'm, I'm 100% down. There were wand fights. There were fire things. So the tickets, I inherited the tickets from someone who was unable to make it. They got them for Christmas in 2018. They were so looking forward to it. Were unable to go. So they were looking for someone to take, you know, both of the tickets, first and second half. But I only took the second half. So each half of the play was $99. And we were in the second to last row of the Koran Theater. We were way up there. So I can only imagine that if we were in the back row and those were $99 seats, meaning those are the cheapest seats, so the tickets were $200. The cheapest tickets were $200. People are buying this for their kids. It's crazy. So I, I'm just, but you know what, it really was, it really was worth. It, I'm really lucky I got to see the play. That's all, that's all I'm saying. So I, I got to see Harry Potter and the Cursed, Cursed Child uh, for free this weekend. And it was... But, I mean, who spends $200 on theater tickets, right? But that's what they... For nosebleeds, we were in the very, very back. And that was, that was crazy. So, uh, crazy, crazy week for me. Lots of rehearsal going to see plays, doing theater again. Did you know that there's a whole world out there that is is not stand-up comedy? Did you know that? I, I did not know that. I did not know that there was a world outside of Bender's and stand-up comedy. I had no idea that there's a real world out there. I'm like, oh my God, people do theater? It's unbelievable to me that we've all memorized stuff and doing theater. I, it's weird. I used to do this. I used to do theater back in the day. And now I remember what, what I enjoyed about it and, and why I liked it. And then, and then I'm don't, I don't suck at it. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be in Harry Potter, the cursed child and be on stage. Although I feel like, you know, back in the day, I was not, I'm a much better actor now than I was back then, back when I was actually trying to act. Back so. in the 2000s. Oh, sweetie, before that, this is college. Like, it was, I mean, I, I think that the majority of my acting was in, um, wow, they, you can loop it. Oh, I'm so happy. Someone figured out a weird button on the machine, and now it's, that makes me really happy, the CD player. Uh, no, I, I mostly did acting as a kid, and then in college, it was my, hey, everybody, it was my uh, major in college. I was a theater major, and I used to do a lot of theater. And now, I don't do 
I mean, I'm do doing another, theater now. You, you do stand-up comedy and improv theater now. Yeah, but stand-up comedy is not theater at all. Not it's, even a little. It's of the theatrical arts. It's they are there is so little crossover. I'm realizing between theater and stand-up comedy, they are completely different animals. They are absolutely completely different. But, the, the only oh, thing, well, that, yeah. I mean, it's it is so weird to be doing this sketch comedy show. Well, sketch comedy to me is like theater. It's no, just, it's theater. Oh You're yeah. Memorizing. We wrote a 38-page script, and we're like. I'm off book. I know the entire script. I have the entire script memorized because it's funny. It's going to be interesting to see when this play happens because I, I literally have everyone's lines memorized because that's like the kind of shit that I do just because that's how, how my brain works. So when we were on stage for tech, I was like kind of feeding everybody their lines. But I guess that's a good thing. I'm feeding everybody their I mean, I know the script. We did wrote this go, crazy script. Did you go back to your old ways of like when you were, um, was it a theater manager or something? Oh, I was stage manager. Stage manager. Yeah, I definitely, well, the thing is we're all kind of in charge of our own like props and costumes and all that. So I got there super early. I set up all my chairs. I set up all my props. I set up all my costumes. So during the tech, I was like the only person that was, she's like, oh, don't worry about costumes or whatever. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? We're only in this space here for three hours. I'm getting everything done. I can get done. So I was changing all my costumes. This is, this is what's going to be interesting about this play, about this sketch comedy thing. I'm going to do my fucking best. I'm going to do my best. I don't want you to do your worst. Well, no, I'm in it, but it's it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, it's, you know, theater's one of those things you have to have, like, faith and trust in the people around you. And I'm going to... That trust I'm fall. Gonna, I'm going to trust them. But after Monday... Okay, so after Sunday's rehearsal, I was like, this is great. Everything's going to be off, awesome. Off the hook. It's just going to be amazing. After Monday, I was like, we're going down in a ball of flames. I'm the only person that is off book. Everyone else is walking around with scripts. I'm like, ah, ah, <laughs> the show is Thursday. The show's tomorrow. You've, yeah. had, you've had every, you've, uh, you've, we have a four hour rehearsal tomorrow before the play, but, um, I'm going to try to come and make it. It's at great. 10. It's at 10, a piano yeah. fight. Not to tell everybody on the internet, like, it's going to be really interesting. I'm really, I'm, I'm going to be fine. How about this? I have no idea what's going to happen with the other three people on stage, but I'm going to be fine. I know all my <laughs> lines. I know what all my costumes are. I'm. If something happens, if if something happens, I'll know how to improv around it, and I'll know how to mug to the audience, and I'll know how to get us back on script because I'll know where we are. Mm -hmm. But. I'm and I'm going to have faith in my everyone's going to do the best that they can and it's one of those situations that sometimes when you collaborate and you're all on different one of it's going to be fine one of the people in the show he's never he's never been on stage before ever oh the virgin yeah. he's getting his so there's pot. so there's things that he doesn't know like when you're on stage you have to stand still he like rocks back and forth a lot and it's really distracting and a lot of like new actors don't realize if you're not doing if you're not forwarding motion or emotion or something if you're not forwarding the movement of the story or the play or what you're trying to get across then you're distracting from it so if you're going back and forth like this and it's the same thing with stand-up comedy like if you're moving around you're distracting you have to you have to be still and make choices and that's what reads from 
Because it's a stylized. It's not like, hey, I'm being me and I'm walking on the bird. It's a stylized. Acting is stylized. It's not real life. Real life is one way. Acting is another. And I mean, just watching the Harry Potter thing was watching those actors on stage. And we were like in the second to last row and they were way, way down there. This is like, a, you know, I don't know, 1500 seat theater. I'm guessing it's a big theater, but we're in the back and I'm, I'm looking down and like they're doing these really serious scenes, but they're so far away and they don't have little lavalier. I don't know how they were miking them. I don't think they were miking them at some points, but mostly when they were effects, but they were just projecting and being so specific with their actions. Like nobody moved unless they had to or were supposed to. And that's one of the things that makes good theater great is when it's everything adds to the overall story and nothing is distracting hey. yeah so i'm a little nervous that one of our guys is like he's very like all over the place because he just doesn't he, he's never acted before and god bless him but it's gonna be i wonder how how do you get into it he went he went and saw a show um oh, got, so edna in a bottle is the show that she does every month and he got motivated by that yeah and it, so the way it works is that you meet the first week and you all brainstorm ideas and then you um, sit together or you go away and you write it and then you bring it back and then you work on it and then it becomes a script and then you memorize it and you rehearse it. And she does these every month with four different people, with three new people. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. So like one of my friends, Guinevere Q has done it before and... Um, I think Warhol Kaufman slated to do it. He writes really funny sketches. Um, so he'll be great. But it was weird. I mean, I got to write, so I haven't done that in a long time. Um, Yay. Yeah, so it's Pam's all good. getting so, her groove back. Oh, eh, I mean, whatever. It's We'll see. But you're excited about it, though, right? Well, sure, because I forgot that I'm like good good at that well no i'm no but i have a i have a photographic memory i always have uh, that's why you're good at memorizing scripts and stuff yeah i was nervous about it in the beginning because i haven't done it in so long but i'm like oh that's funny it's only 38 pages like it's 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 not i don't know because when i used to stage manage i wasn't on stage but i had the whole script memorized because i had to know where all the cues were and i had to know where everybody's lines were and i was i'd listened to it so many times and seen it on stage that i knew everybody's lines but i don't i was never afforded the opportunity to act because you were too busy being the uh, no because no one would cast me oh i was never cast um i i would audition and i would audition but i think like i give off this try too hard vibe and i just wasn't i, I think that back then i wasn't a very good actor and just over time, I've gotten a lot better. <laughs> because in this life, you really have to act your ass off. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, I, I, I enjoy it. I'm enjoying it a lot, and I wouldn't mind doing more acting, but I'm definitely not going to... If I come see you tomorrow, you might motivate me to get back on stage. Yeah, Piano Fight's a great venue, yeah. and they give—they really afford people opportunities to be on stage. Like our stage here at Mutiny is so tiny, and it's for radio. I mean, 
I'd say it's more for like stand up. It's for stand up. Well, it's, it's a tiny room. It's yeah, a, it's for stand up. You wouldn't want to do probably Romeo and Juliet on the stage. Though well, you could. it would be. Yeah, you'd have to be really tiny box, creative. Like tiny if, house. If I was, this is a great place for like one woman shows. I think it's a itty bitty flexible space. You can do a lot with it, but like actually having an ensemble. Well, and having real lights and having a backstage. So like in this space, there's a lot of things that we could do in that there's a front door, a bathroom door, a closet door, and then show you and this, the door. So if you were doing that a theatrical event here, I would say that you would want to use all of our doors. It, it would just be like, if you were to do a play here, you'd have to make the room You'd have to make the performance space the play. You'd have to be like, you'd have to make, like if you wanted, if it was in a house, you'd have to sort of make the space look like a house and then do all the entrances and exits. Um, I wanted to do a play here once. I wanted to do the, um, it's by Jean-Paul Sartre and it was, it's uh, so it's something like the the happy prostitute or something about the prostitute. The but happy it's, hooker? Well, it's, it's set in, um, it's set in the South, and it's about mm. a woman who there's a, a a woman on a train who was raped by some white guys, but then they blame, blame the, on black the black guys. guys. I know what then, you're talking about. Yeah, it's a it's just crazy play. Isn't that from the 40s? It's or? from the 40s. Yes, yeah, by yeah. Jean Paul Sartre, and yeah. it's just a, it's a critique of racism in America from a French guy. It's a great, great, great play. There's a lot of N-word in it, and I wanted to do it here, and I wanted Clay Newman, because he's a really good actor, I wanted him to play the part of the senator. And this guy twists everybody's words, and he basically manipulates the prostitute into lying about the black guy and, and being an eyewitness, and convinces somehow, the establishment convinces her to do this, and then... He's like, why did you do this to me? And she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And like, he's hiding in her house. Anyways, I wanted to do it here and I wanted to have, basically it was too edgy for comics to get in, too edgy for actors to get into. They were like, I don't want to say the N word on stage. And I was like, well, it's contextual and it's about the play and this is the reason that we want to do the play. If it comes to acting, there's nothing wrong with it as long as I can say cracker. Well, yeah. No, I mean, but that's not in that's not in the script. That's not in the it's not in the script. But I mean, when it, I think I read that play like in high school, like my senior year. Yeah, I know exact because it's deep. Yeah, it's really deep. What is the name of that? And it's sad because women have no power. Black people have no power. And white women have power, though. Well, she it turns out she does have power, but she's easily manipulated into, like. But it's all about like, it's crazy. So everybody read it. It's something about. That, and that's even before the uh, Emmett Till, what happened with oh, him. Oh, yeah. because yeah, I was, Emmett Till was like 1955. This play came out in the 40s. And even yeah. before that, that's how the Tulsa riots started. Because um, supposedly, if you guys know anything about the uh, Black Wall Street, the um, Black Wall Street Tulsa riots of uh, 1921, which people are rediscovering, including myself. Um, it started because of a um, a black man in the elevator with a white woman. Um, she said that he assaulted her, which did not happen. And so, come to find out, white men came out to look for this um, the the black man, and um, they were defending the black or the 
people in the neighborhood uh, in Black Wall Street were defending a black man. And the white men, white people came in with their weapons and started killing people. And yeah, it, it was a riot. It was terrorism, all because of what hey, had transpired. Hey, it's not supposed to cut off. Uh, so it's, it's called the respectful prostitute. The respectful prostitute, La Perpétuelle is a French play by Jean-Paul Sartre written in 1946, which observes a woman, a prostitute, caught up in a racially tense period of American history. The audience understands that there has been an incident on a train with said woman involved, but also a black man whom the blame is laid on by the prejudiced law enforcers. What comes to the viewer's realization is the white man instigated an attack, but is the interests of the law to preserve the perception of the white person at the expense of the black quote-unquote devil. The tale takes a brief look at the loss of freedom inside a cruel world, a subject that dominates Sartre's literary career. The play premiered November, ni- November 1946 at the Théâtre Simon Berrieux in Paris, where the play was produced... Uh, when the play was produced in the United States, Sartre was accused of anti-Americanism. Oh. Sartre's play is believed to have been based on the infamous Scottsboro case. Yeah, the Scottsboro Boys. In which two white prostitutes accused nine black teenagers of rape on a train traveling through Alabama in 1931. The play was ad- adapted in a film in 1952, La Puritan uh, Meg Bundy wo- won a Theater World Award for her performance at the Court Theater in 1948. Yeah, so the play takes place in American town after the, in the South after the Civil War. There's a room with white walls and a couch. A window is located on the right and a bathroom door is located on the left. See, so this, the, I always thought that this place would be great for it because we have en- entrances, exits, we have a bathroom because someone gets locked in the bathroom. We have a closet, we have a front door. So the the audience would be in the room with the actors, and I just think that would that, that it would really work here. Uh, characters: Lizzie, a white woman, she is a prostitute. She does not wish to testify against the Never Negro <laughs> Negro in court. She is manipulated by the senator into signing a confession. She wears a snake charm bracelet. The Negro, a black man who is described as tall and strapping, with white hair. He is married and has children. He is on the run because he has been accused of raping Lizzie. She was not, and she's she's the one who's like, no, you didn't rape me. Fred Clark, a wealthy white man, the senator's son, he asks Lizzie to testify against the Negro and accuse him of raping her so that his cousin, Thomas, will not go to jail for shooting the black man who was with the Negro. The senator, Fred Clark's father, he manipulates Lizzie into signing the confession. Thomas, Fred Clark's cousin, he killed the black man who was with the Negro. Mary, Fred Clark's wealthy aunt, and Thomas's mother, she sends Lizzie $100 as a reward for testifying. So that's it. So it's just a couple characters. And so I thought, this is such a great space for a play like that. But even now, in the, in this day and age, in the it was this was probably in 2015 or 2016 i wanted to produce it here it was too edgy all the characters were like we can't do this it's too i you edgy. know what i i i wouldn't trust some of the audience here that comes to uh mutiny radio to do this play you know why because a lot of them have yeah this might sound a little bigoted but i don't think it does but you have to have the experience I don't want to say experience, 
the, it, it, it's a play that needs to be done right. And if you don't know anything about the civil rights movement or the Scottsboro case or Black Wall Street or even Emmett Till that happened nine years after the fact of when this play came out, I, I, I don't think you should do it. Well, but you can, I mean, I have a degree in theater. I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about people. There's a, there are a lot of people here that come in the, into this space that don't know anything about the black experience. Oh, absolutely. They know they have black friends, but oh, they and don't hardly get, or hardly. <laughs> they have. Wait, I have minority I have, friends. Wait, I have friends of color, Asian, yeah, yeah. and that's it. I mean, the Asian experience is differently different from the white uh, from the black experience. And so, what I'm saying is, you know, it, it to play one of these characters. I'm even talking about the white characters, the racist white characters. Yeah, you have to dig deep, and I think you would have to read up on. A lot of like the history, the history of Black Americans in this country, to sympathize and 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 empathize with the characters that are being targeted. Well, it would to- be hard to be one of these white characters because yeah. it is the 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 part of the senator. It is awful, like watching him spin words and out and. And also, I mean, the experience of Lizzie, that she knows what the truth is. She absolutely 100% knows what really happens, but then allows herself to be manipulated because of the world that they live in. And and also, she's like, she's trapped in that. She's a, she's a prostitute. That's how she makes her money. Like, she's already looked down upon exactly. as a whore. You're yeah, already exactly. a bottom pillar of society. So the fact that now you're... There, here's the black person, but you're the white hooker. Mm-hmm. So you still have one up a little bit, exactly. But you're still you're still scum to them. Well, and but, that, you're, but your white your white existence, we trust you more than other than the black characters. And she sold him out for a hundred bucks. That's the worst. It's just like, I mean, maybe contextually, I guess in 1946, a hundred bucks was a lot more. Still ain't enough. <laughs> well, no, it's a, it a man's life. Yeah. yeah. She traded a man. And and that even in this, in, in, the, in the play, we just don't respect, he's not, African-American people haven't been respected as actual people. And even, even, and that was, I mean, if you're a piece of property, obviously you're not respected as a person. So that that was a concept and a reality. It's not a concept, it's a reality. That is like mind blowing, but that we're still doing it. We still, still 100% devalue. We put value on certain people's lives and not on others. And then, I mean, look at America now. Who Who is valued? People with money. That's and we call it value, money, monetary, everything. Art isn't valued. It's all, we're all just little consumers. We're just little dollar bills walking around. And that's what, when when our asshole says, let's make America great again. He's like, go back to that old America where everyone's buying everything, buy, buy, buy. And then it's like, oh, but when, when people weren't considered, pe- you wanna go back to a time like that's the time, 1946. That's what he's talking about. That's when they, that whole like "Make America Great Again," it's like all oh, the 40s and the boom that was so great. Well, when when people were still like not considered people, is that? They still are considered people. No, exactly. Well, and <laughs> but that's the thing is, and at this point, I don't think it's just 
black people that aren't considered people. Now it's become, if you don't have money, then you're not a person. And uh, there's a there's a there's charger over there. Yeah, that whole thing on that side. Um, you can pull it around. It's white and it has a. <laughs> it's white. Well, and then but that's the thing is, how far back do we have to go? And why, why do white people seem to have this concept that white is right, white is good, when, like, Japanese emperors and fucking Chinese emperors and shit were doing stuff way at the same time with just as many people, and how come they're not all, like, white people are terrible and we should own them? Like, how? Um, well, actually funny that you should did the, say something did like Asians that. have white slaves? I, no, well, I'd love here's, to know here's the history the thing. of white slavery. I, I, I'm like, I, I will right. tell you this much. Um, white people are, are admired a little bit more in Asian culture than definitely us colored folks. That's for sure. Because that Western, the... Okay, did for they example, have slaves? Did China have slaves? Did they enslave their own people? They, or own, did they, they enslaved enslave their own people. people. Okay. Yeah. And then there's a history amongst the um, Koreans and the Japanese. They don't get along. Uh, there's a history. Oh, by the way, Chinese and Japanese do not like Southeast Asians. What? Because they think they're poor. And it, it's, what? yeah, it, but, this, it, this, it's, but that's all because of colonialism as well. Sure. But also, too, there is a history before colonialism, but colonialism just made it worse. The earliest evidence of slavery in China dates back to the Shang Dynasty, when by some estimates, approximately 5% of the population was enslaved. The Shang Dynasty engaged in frequent raids of surrounding states, capturing slaves who would be killed in ritual sacrifices. Hey! <laughs> All right. I, I just, I guess someone always has to be enslaved at some point. I, I mean, because women are kind of, sort of enslaved classism. sometimes. Classism. Slavery in China. Uh, slavery was reportedly abolished as legally recognized institution including a 1909 law fully enacted in 1910, although the practice continued until at least 1949. Whoa! Slavery in China! I have no idea. So the second millennium BC. Oh, wow. The earliest evidence of slavery in China dates back to the Shang Dynasty. Second millennium BC. Wow. Before Christ. Yeah, absolutely. The Warring States period, 5475 to 221 BC. The Warring States period saw a decline in slavery from previous centuries, although it was still widespread during the period. Since the introduction of private ownership of land in the state of Lu in 594 BC, which brought a system of taxation on private land and saw the emergence of a system of landlords and peasants. A system of slavery began to decline over the following centuries as other states followed suit. Uh, the Qing, Dyn uh, Qing Dynasty from 221-206 BC confiscated property and enslaved families as punishment. The Han Dynasty, 206 to 220 BC, one of Emperor Gao's first acts was to man manumit, ar ar 
agricultural workers enslaved during the Warring States period, although domestic servants retained their status. Men punished with castration during the Han Dynasty were also used as slave labor. You castrate them and then use them as slaves? That's not cool. Uh, That's a oof. Yeah. From earliest legalist laws, the Hind Dynasty set in place rules penalizing criminals doing three years of hard labor or sentenced to castration by having their families seized and kept as property by the government. Oh, shit. They take your family. And they take your nuts. During this millennium-long Chinese domination of Vietnam, Vietnam was a great source of slave girls who were used as sex slaves in China. 206 BC, sex slaves, yay! Sounds kind of like history repeating itself a little bit. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, but I mean, here's the thing. That would suck to be a sex slave. That would suck. That would be like, that would suck. That's happening right now. Uh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Human rapid, trafficking. Human trafficking. And, and if mean, you don't have education and you don't see any, any other way. and But the thing is, if you can't even own your own, you can't even own your own labor as a sex worker. Oh, God, that sucks. It's just like getting raped all the time yeah, uh, you have, there's nothing to live for i mean that's, that's awful just, i mean how you know i really i don't understand how people do this to each other like i could never because human beings are pieces of shit yeah but like have you no conscious no soul i mean that's i mean i get sociopaths and like i guess 10 percent of the population or one one percent of the population are sociopaths and that I get. Like, they got super fucked up, or they've got some crazy imbalance or some shit. Or they enjoy it. Well, but something had to happen to them for them to, right? For them to be like sociopaths, where they're just like, I hurt. Like the crazy guy who kills killed cats. Like anyone who, like, you know, puts a kitten in a vacuum bag and sucks out the air is a sociopath, and they're a terrible person, and something's definitely wrong with but them, I, and they I need help. I think there's some people that do actually enjoy it. That, that get off on people's pain. Really? Yeah. But so... Uh, I mean, if you think about certain serial killers, they enjoy the thrill and then have sex with their dead corpse. Yeah, I mean... I mean, mean yeah! But that's got to be part of that 1% of like... You know, the Jeffrey Epsteins out there that are like, little girls are all for my pleasure or whatever. Like, right, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, okay, that's an example of that, not being too brutal about it. Like, he actually got off with the fact of, like, he liked young girls. And he was basically pimping them out to his rich friends because it was a, a power thing. Well, is that what R. Kelly was doing too? No, he... Okay, he was actually... Okay, so in his case, I am not defending him, um, he was molested. Oh. And... But that does not give him the right to molest children. But in his case in point, he was molested by his sister. And so... Which is, he never, he was traumatized by that. And so by him never getting the proper help that he needed, right. he continued it. And then, you know, he got famous and had all the money, you know, now he could really take advantage of it because now he definitely has a lot more power. Right. And then now, and then because you have, he felt powerless. He felt the need to control people to right. feel powerful. And it's easier to control little girls because they're dumb. Well, and also too, he could control their parents because <laughs> right? that was the thing that and, I thought was crazy in that R Kelly shit was that parents were delivering their children, children to him. Right. 
because all that's crazy yeah so you could make my daughter daughter a star knowing now i'm not talking about the parents in like the 90s or the or the 2000s when he was you know that was for real pedophilia i'm talking more of like later after the 19 or 19 the 2008 trial when you know no that this man mm-hmm. is the once that tape came out in 2002 of him peeing on the little girl which you, was crazy yeah which why but that's you, the other you, thing is i you don't know understand as parents and to me peeing on people i don't get it that's a power thing too and i don't get it's it water sports i pee okay so i pee in the shower and I don't have a problem if we're in the shower and there's pee. But I don't. It isn't like ha ha ha. I'm peeing on you. I don't understand the fascination or like the joy or the Some sexual like gratification that goes along with either way. I just don't get it. Bodily fluids. Like I just don't. I don't get it's, it. But I don't get it. What's even disturbing is this. This child was 14. Oh. And then I remember because the tape was being passed around and being sold uh on the because i was living in chicago at the time and i saw the tape and i was like this is really fucked up and hence why that that's in the early 2000s when dave Chappelle, r kelly yeah and r kelly got mad at dave Chappelle because the skit and he r kelly r kelly asked Chappelle like why are you making a video about piss uh, me pissing on kids and r R dave Chappelle's like no nigga how why are you making a video on pissing on kids Point. And this is in 2002. Now, mind you, the trial didn't happen until 2008. Oh. So people were still buying his records, still buying his shit, still knowing, putting his songs at their graduation. Yeah, I believe I can no, fly. No, knowing the fact that we there's this tape out there, and we know, but the trial got pushed, all, kept getting pushed farther and farther away until it finally happened. And then you know there are people that you know said no, he didn't do it. There's a tape. So, but let's, this is the thing. And then that includes Jeffrey Epstein. People knew. I don't understand why people would want to have sex with children. They're not good at it. They don't know what they're doing. It can't be, it's not going to be fun. It's going to be like, I, I don't get it. Because they, because it. it's the fact of the matter, it's power control. Um, I'm taking advantage of someone that doesn't know. But I can groom them what into whatever someone? I want them to be. You know, she can have a little bit less freedom, no independence. You know, I'm I'm the one that is basically calling like I'm her daddy. But what you know? kind of person wants to manipulate children? in a sexual way there's a lot of men out there that there's a lot of women out there too i mean well i mean i okay and i used to teach i used to teach high school but i was never even when i was 21 and i was teaching high school i was never attracted to any of my students because they're dumb they're in high school they're weird and they smell funny they just learned how to wipe their butts they're children i just don't get it like you're not I get. Of that I mindset. like. I, I know. I am not the mindset, but I. I love twenty-three-year-old guys. I. But that's the thing too. I would never, even even if I had the opportunity. Let's just pretend. Let's pretend that Jonathan's not in the picture, and I have the opportunity with some twenty-three and twenty-six-year-old guys. No way. Oh my god. Because like, you would have to teach them all over again. Well, because I would be so embarrassed of my old gross 
body. I'd I be like, think. no, the 23-year-old boy and a 45-year-old woman, that's like 22 years. I can't imagine that they'd be sexually attracted to me. I, I don't, can't imagine that. See, I don't have a problem with it. I don't. But, but as the older person in the situation, I would say that you know you know what comes with this territory don't think this shit's gonna last forever right. this ain't gonna be the man that you're gonna marry oh you i'm know. not marrying anybody yeah I'm, well no yeah, i'm talking no, about as the yeah as an older woman yeah as an older guy. woman and like especially if you're an older woman who has a little bit more money and what have you and has a little bit more on their plate you know the you're going to probably want to shower that young gentleman with a little bit of gifts or what have you and show teach him some things because you're teaching him about life I, and I fucking sh- them I at sh- the same time. I shower my I shower my baby boys with gifts, but I don't I don't have sex with them. Yeah, I mean, but I, I haven't even I've never. That's the thing is I wouldn't even want to make out with my baby boys because I'd be embarrassed that I like stink like alcohol or that I'm like I just I wouldn't. I would know. I would know what to do. I just can't even. But they're so pretty and fun to hang out with. I love my little boys. But I make them pot food and I make them other food and we hang out and I bring little flasks when we go to the sit next to each other at the punchline. They make it. They. I, I attribute getting up twice at the punchline since September to my cute baby boys because it was the first. I came back from. I came back from Athens from Greece and I was at OMG and I ran into sweet baby Jack and he was like, are you going to punchline? And I was like, I need to start doing that. And he's like, I'll give you a ride. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And I got to sit next to the cute guy and I was like, this ain't so bad. And so I started going back because I was like, oh, I get to sit next to the cute young guy who's like a new comic or whatever. And then he introduced me to his other friends and then he got mad at me and he's like, you're too sexually aggressive. And I'm like, I just touched your leg. I'm sorry. Um, but I made him feel uncomfortable and that's fine. And I apologized and he's got to get over it. But the other two baby boys are now like, they sit next to me and I bring snacks and we share drinks and stuff. And, (laughs) and I give them pop food and they come and they do, I mean, they're just, they're just great. And they're so young and they listen to music. I don't understand. And they make me feel so cool. That's yeah. I mean, but that—that's different. That to me, that's just having friends. Yeah, exactly. That's just friends. I yeah, was I just talking, happened to be friends with yeah. really cute young boys. Yeah, <laughs> and that's—I mean, there's no intercourse They're and there's no trade. There's no trade off going there. That's just innocent friendship. Yeah, but you I know. flirt hard. I remember. I'm getting back to my old days, my high school days. I was—I can flirt. I know how to do that. That's a thing <laughs> I am good at. <laughs> I'm I think good that's at cute. it. It is. I'm good at flirting, and I, 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 I don't know. There's, it's, it's, it's innocent, but I have fun doing it. That's that's cool. Yeah, I, I, thank you. I haven't. I flirt all the time, but I, I don't know. I don't. I don't like young guys. I never did. I have daddy issues, so it's I not going to be an issue for me. <laughs> uh, sweet baby Sam. He's a bike messenger, and my God, like his tummy is the cutest. Like he's got an eight pack you and call like him the tummy. ridges. Oh my dear God! It's good that they're funny too, but like, oh, what? I like the fact you called it a tummy. His tummy tum is just darling. I'm telling you, and that and the other one, sweet baby Nate. 
I, I just want him to pick me up again and move me like he just picks me up and moves me to the side. He's so strong and big. He could just pick me up and put me in another place. And I'm like, ha! <laughs> I'm boy it's crazy. Funny. It's fun. It's fun. Yes, sex, sex trade. I would, I would, I should be a pimp for these guys. <laughs> we could get them paid. No, they don't need any help. No, they can do it. On they, their they're own. doing. They're just. They're state. That's the only thing that sucks about being friends with them is I have to hear about them slamming the puss, like they're. But you want to be one of the guys. So I am one the, of the that's, guys. That's, it's that's fine. The, that's, that's the trade-off. That's the trade-off. Have, and then then you tell them. them, and then you get to school them. Well, hey, this is how you go about this. Get you get you know they're lucky because they get a woman's point. Sure. You know rather than just like all dicks on the dance floor and they don't know shit from Shinola. You can actually tell them like, I've been hey. living a long time to look 22. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't look 22. <laughs> I don't even look close to 22. It's terrible. But yeah. Uh, I, you know, one of the great things about menopause, I'll never get sold into sex slavery. <laughs> By the looks of you, they wouldn't know that though. Oh, I think they'd figure. They it out. actually probably would appreciate the fact that she she doesn't bleed and she can't get pregnant. Maybe I, you you'd know, be surprised. I think that I, with my whole flirting thing, and I was telling stories on the back patio of Benders. I should have been a geisha. I could have been a rockin' geisha. Like I'm, I'm entertaining at parties. I can like talk to different people. I can start a happy birthday chorus. I can. There's all kinds of things like in social interactions. I can, I can be like a social lubricant. Um, and that's what geishas do. They don't. They don't perform sex acts. I don't think. Uh, maybe some do, but they're really just like fantastic, talented hostesses. <laughs> they are. They can play music. They can sing. They're like they. They. When you're you have a real this fascination with geishas. Oh, dude, yeah. Wearing weird outfits, like smoosh your boobies down, and like the weird like they look like. It looks like C's candy, like stole their look and put it into it like a chocolate outfit. But they all the little when they have to take little tiny steps and they play the weird little instrument that has like a little round thing. Ding 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 ding. ding. <laughs> like right? It's cool. Ding 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 ding. I'm down. I'm down with like that kind of I don't know Japanese culture. So now we know that the Chinese had sex slaves. Let's see what. Let's look up geishas real quick. I don't. I don't think they were treated too kindly either. Maybe I. 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 I have. I have no. I don't think women were treated very kindly ever. <laughs> I've read the Bible <laughs> years and years ago. They hated Mary Magdalene. Uh, a geisha, Japanese women who entertain through performing the ancient traditions of art, dance, and singing, are distinctively characterized by wearing a kimono and oshiro makeup. Um, there we go. See, so she's not even like, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with uh, prostitution, I don't think. But I, I mean, I think everyone's been everyone's been a sex slave at some point. I was married. <laughs> have I been a sex, not by, that by, no, I've never been a sex slave. I've yeah, no, I'm. Ah, you're getting paid for it. That's nice. I mean, that's the thing, too. With I, wasn't, I wasn't a sex slave. I mean, I was married, so there was 
It's a trade. It's, it's a, a contract. contract. Yeah. <laughs> it's different. The word geisha consists of two kanji, gay meaning art and sha meaning person or doer. The most literal translation of geisha into English would be artist, performing artist, or artisan. Another name for geisha is geiko, which translates specifically as woman of art. This term is used to refer to a geisha from Western Japan, which includes Kyoto and Kanzawa. Apprentice geishas are called maiko, literally woman of dance, or hengukko, half jewel, meaning that they were paid half the wage of a full geisha. The more generic term, oshaku, literally one who pours alcohol. The white makeup began uh, elaborate kimono, blah, 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 blah. Okay. A woman above 21 is considered too old to be a maiko and, and becomes a full geisha upon her initiation into the geisha community. On average, Tokyo apprentices who typically begin at 18 are slightly older than Kyoto counterparts who usually start at 15. Blah, 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 blah. So, origins, let's see. Yeah, wandering girls, families displaced by struggles in the 600s. Ah, some of these sub- Sobroko girls sold sexual services while others had better education, made a living by entertaining high-class social gatherings. Okay, so, yeah, geishas were some... The, if you were if you were educated, then you were high class and didn't have to have sex. But if you weren't, it was like, yeah. suck my dick, <laughs> suck my dick, Michael. So you still want to be a geisha? Well, I don't <laughs> suck dick anymore. I mean, back hey, when I was, thanks Jesus, I didn't you know I didn't have sex till I was twenty, but I sucked a lot of dick in college because that's how I thought you got boys to like you. That's sort of how I was. That's sort of that was hey nineties. <laughs> like I was like, what did I learn? What did I learn my first year in college in nineteen ninety two? That. Boys like their dicks sucked. <laughs> that was what I learned. And I wasn't going to have sex with anybody because I'd never had sex. You and so, ready. no, I was definitely not ready. And then you wouldn't let them go down on you either. No, so, no, yeah. no. Because I was like, I don't want you to see any of my weird girly parts that I smell funny. Ah! So, they smell worse. It was a lot of work and not a lot of payoff, especially since boys it didn't make them like me. It didn't work. I mean, they did during, you know, when you're sucking their dick, of course they like you. But then later they just, you know, and I was like, why are they so mean? And it's like, well, you don't really value yourself too much there, Pammy, Pammy girl. Uh, 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 (laughs) Jeez. No, it was, I just didn't understand. I didn't even, you know, even when I left my marriage and I moved here and I was 32 and I was, you know, ostensibly an adult, um, I didn't understand like how sex and relationships were. I thought that when you have sex with someone, it means like, I really, really like you and I want to spend a lot of time with you. And that's not the case at all, especially yeah. in San Francisco. I didn't know that. I didn't, and, and that's naive and stupid, but I just didn't, nobody, there was no like, I, I never took a class. There was, I didn't have a lot of like girlfriends to talk about things with. I didn't. I mean, I got married so young, I just didn't know what the world was all about. And you didn't really start exploring until your 30s. Right. Yeah. And then when I started exploring, I was like, oh, he had sex with me. That means he really, really likes me. And then it made me like a crazy person because I was, I wanted you to. You were still about like five, eight years behind right. when you came to that. Exactly. I was but the, way you know, but that's, behind. You're, you definitely, there are several women that got married like in their early 20s yeah. that got divorced by their 30s and 
did same situation. They let they finally got their freak flag to fly, and yeah. then you know, then they had to. There was the the pros and the cons of being single, and that was one of the cons of like, oh man, I think I'm starting to grow feelings for this person because the way you know we've been hanging out when it's just like eh, no it's not well and i didn't realize i mean hanging out at the bar with a person and then going home and having sex with them when you're drunk i thought that i was like this is the coolest relationship ever <laughs> but then when we weren't drunk it was so awkward and weird and not a relationship at all and so it was I don't know. It was. I ain't gonna lie. I mean, I fell into that category too. Even in like my early 30s, I was just like, wait a minute. And the thing is, like, I wasn't looking for a relationship with some oh, of these I people. Was. I was. I was just looking for <laughs> someone, you know, to like a, a you know, a, a, like honestly, a booty call friend, mm. you know, or like just hang out. I wasn't because I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Ha- I still had that wall up, so I was protecting. <laughs> I wanted to. I didn't want to let that wall down because I was afraid I was going to get hurt. But I end up getting hurt anyway right. by the fact of like I didn't want anything from this person. Right, and then you're like, wait a minute, I yeah. Then you're. It's kind like of I didn't want your hand sure. in marriage. I didn't ask you to like. We, I'm not asking for you to be my girl or boyfriend. It's just like I'm so simple. But they didn't get that right. because I guess they weren't used to. Uh, the kind of broad that I was sure at the time so I mean whatever but you live and you learn but that's why I think it's 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 very important for women to be single at a certain right. part in it's time yeah. to get it all out because honey if you don't well it's the Bechtel ooh. test it's like I didn't know who I was without the context of a dude and when I was married you know, the second question out of everybody's mouth would be, hey, how's how's Keith? How's your husband doing? And it's like, you know, I exist as a person without him, <laughs> but I didn't, like I didn't, without the context of a relationship, I didn't know who I was. So I needed that time to be single to figure out like who I am and what I wanted Yeah. to find the person that could, where we're like, I mean, it, Jonathan's perfect. We're both super lazy. We don't <laughs> want kids. Well, I'm not super, I'm lazy at weird things but we don't want kids and we know that and he knows that and i know that so that's great (laughs) that's one that's one big it was one really big thing is i don't want to ruin i didn't want to i mean we've been together for seven years now i don't want to ruin his 30s and the best time of his life by 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 not telling him the truth about like i i don't want kids surprise Surprise. we've been together this long no there's nothing coming out of this vagina but if, if he if the thing is, we would never adopt because we don't have enough money and we don't care about creating money and assets and 401ks and buying houses. And that's just not us. I, I would and suggest traveling the world like you guys. Have right. Been doing. Exactly. We want to travel. We do whatever we want. Like we we have nothing, but we have everything, you know, like right. it's weird. No, I don't think it's we weird at all. Each other. I don't think it's weird at all. Like I'm at the point now. It's just like, do I want to have kids part of me 50% of me wants to and 50% doesn't mm. and it's all because of vanity and I've said this so many times I'm just worried about how the recovery back of of getting my body back once I do have kids especially sure. if you have kids at a later age right um, but also too I enjoy my freedom mm-hmm. I like to travel 
I like I, we like to do things so that's going to get cut out for a while but there's also the side of like well what would it be like to have so many little fuck face that i that we create sure sure you know what would what, what 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 would this person this little person this this person that doesn't exist what what how would we be as parents yeah. how would how would the child turn out wouldn't it be great to see you know all these things sure i, I think about but eh, i don't know if if i would have so i had an abortion with jonathan um it was our first year together it was we'd just been together for over a year we were still having lots and lots of sex and um i got i knew when it happened too i was like oh my god i probably got pregnant but i had a little a little thingy inside me we got rid of it but it would be five now five five and a half which is crazy like imagining me with a five and a half year old fuck no like i had rehearsal this week what do you do with the kid you can't bring him to rehearsal you got to pay for a nanny who do you pay do you have to be friends with your parents you have to get shots and take them to the doctor you have to like it's way harder than a cat there's i mean you, you can't just spay and neuter them you have to keep them your whole life you have to feed them you have to have food in the house oh my god you have to have food in the house like they can't feed themselves education they're, yeah you got to take them to school you've got to care about them and like what they're doing it's, and, and, it's a lot of responsibility that i'm extracurricular activities all of that i've got i've got two cats and that's a lot for me that's a lot on my plate to care for the and jonathan thinks so too like we've got to clean the litter box every time we go potty we have to feed them (laughs) like there's all this we've got to buy food we've got to i mean we have trouble even like buying toilet paper for ourselves so having children would be like Childproofing it, they're so expensive. Oh, did you mention childcare? Childcare, you've got to get a car, you kind of have to have a car, you have to get a stroll, like all the diapers, everything. Like, it's insane. Your whole and what, like, we live in my studio apartment and we fucking have a child with us. What, or we we moved to Berkeley with Jonathan's house and we become like super domestic and what we you know have chickens in our backyard i guess but well, at least there's a house yeah at least there's a house yeah right? i mean that that's that's usually the hard part right yeah <laughs> but but everything else that you you mentioned yeah that thing comes to I, who's gonna do i mean that? who wants kids or not kids? a lot of people want to have kids but i mean hey i don't know i'm on the fence i don't i i'm I still can't make up my mind. I I, uh, I uh, stalked my ex-husband's Facebook oh, last week. And? Uh, interesting. Uh, he's fat now. Ha! <laughs> so is his wife, though. He has two darling, darling children, and they look <gasps> just like so him. So they have fat skin on skin. I guess. Sex. I just... I So my... Um, <laughs> I found out so it was Katie's birthday and we went out and it was really fun and I got to sit across from the mayor and that was great we talked about that last week okay but we stalked so Nick Maravich was this guy that I went to college with that I always had a crush on and he was roommates with my ex-husband and it's so funny because he he's divorced now he has three kids but I didn't know he was divorced I'm like he got divorced and it was crazy I, I said his name so I should I mean nobody listens to this you're not gonna look him up come on um, but I sent him a letter in the late 90s and uh, he was dating this girl who he eventually got divorced from and I wrote him a letter and I was like 
don't marry this woman. Trust me. This is, don't do it. And he never, he never acknowledged that he got that letter, but I know he did. And I, now I found out that they got divorced and I'm like, I told you so. How but, long were they together? Oh, years and years and years. Probably like 10, 12 years. But she forewarned him. I forewarned him years ago. And, and I so said, that's don't it. marry her. If that's 10 years of marriage, were there kids involved? Yeah, they have three kids. Okay. So I guess that's his blessing yeah. or their blessing. But well, now he's a new girlfriend now, which is great. And she has lots of tattoos. And she's I, now I, he has I, to separate assets. and Oh, I'm sure. It's crazy. Child, yeah, child support. See, but now, he's, he's doing Iron Man's now. He looks really healthy. It's really great. And so I saw all these group pictures and I'm like, oh my God, that's my ex-husband. Oh shit. So then I went down this little rabbit hole and like kind of spelunked around. And it was great because then I looked at my own page and I was like, I'm so fucking cool. No, it was like, look at these boring fucking San Diego people who all got fat. And what did they decide to do? Oh, I'm going to run Iron Man's and blah, blah, blah. I just fucking stand up comedy. Come on. Like my life is a hundred thousand times better than it was. They felt like they're the basics in the world that feel like, well, we're at a certain age, so we have to do this and let ourselves go. And like, we have the house in the suburbs with the kids, so we don't have to have as much fun as much as we used to. They're and now, like, I'm club, a man with has know. titties. And you should blame. Well, I was super stoked because I looked at my page and I was like, look. I'm living life. Yeah, I'm living. Look at my hot young uh, boyfriend. I've got this radio station. I'm constantly doing shows. I still have the body of a teenager. <laughs> I still have the body of a teenager. I mean, I'm getting, I've got this new little pouch that's like, um, it's my menopause up, pouch. Pam. No, no, no. It's it's a little, it's like a little boop, boop. It's, it's, it's new. It's a little, it's a little menopause mm-hmm. pouch. It's a little, mm-hmm. it's where I'm putting all my beer. I put it all in this pouch right here. Because mm-hmm. I do, if I stopped drinking beer, I would be, I would be skinny like that. But I can't stop drinking beer because I, I love like it. Beer, but yeah, I mean, I I feel you. I mean, I this is one of the reasons why I can't wait to go to my twentieth high school reunion. Which, oh yeah, which should be coming up this year because I want to see. It's for my own. Yeah, yeah, I'm being, I'm being that person yeah, where you're it's super hot. Yeah, I, 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 it's for those people that would make fun of me, that would say these things, and yeah, it's for my own self. Uh, Self gratification, I, I do because I want to see how people turned out. Because you are too young to just stop living and have a size fifty waist belt. Uh, they, when they say that you know that high school is the best years of of your life or whatever, fuck that. Fuck that. No, it, it was, was the worst. worst. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I mean, so bad. I will say senior year got better because I started to get a little bit more respect, but. I learned. There is a lot of lessons that I learned in high school. Would I want to go and change any of that? Fuck no. Hell no. Yeah, no. H- high school was not. Mm-mm. Those people that say that bullshit usually die after high school. Meaning, I don't mean literally, but that's it. They well, got nothing else to live for. Every year from that. I mean, I'm 45. Every every day at this point, I'm like, is oh, wow, I'm still alive. Because I've had a couple friends who died in, in their early 40s. And and even just this week, another person died from that was sort of one of our bar people. It, it was crazy, crazy stuff. And, you know, it, it can happen anytime. And not just that, like, I could get hit by a truck, but one of my buddies had a brain aneurysm and just yeah. slumped over and died D- out disease, of nowhere. Yeah. And there was nothing the doctor wouldn't have known nothing it's just it was just like ugh, your body just goes oh, boop, i'm dead 
That's crazy to me. And and especially with what I do to my body, you know. I smoke cigarettes, I smoke weed. Well, you, you don't do hardcore drugs anymore. Not so anymore, that's gonna, you but know. I mean, even the even in my 20s when I drank uh, six Diet Cokes a day and didn't drink any water. and That's me, dangerous. Too. Yeah, that's what's killing my kidneys now is my Diet Coke usage. It had nothing to do with actual cocaine. Nutra-sweet. Maybe, maybe I did a lot of Ritalin um, recreationally. I didn't, I've never been diagnosed. And it makes me fucking high, which means that I'm not ADHD. I just like speed. But I did a lot of that in my 20s, too. So I think that affected my kidneys, too. That and the Diet Coke. But it was every day for you for the, with the Diet Coke, right? Oh, every yeah. day, six Diet Cokes. Every day. Every day for, like, my entire 20s. We would buy a flat. We'd go to Costco. Like oh, at gosh. least once a week, maybe every six days. And my ex-husband Keith would buy a flat of regular Coke and I would buy a flat of Diet Coke. And it was 24 Cokes. And I drank five to six of them a day. So, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd open up a cold Diet Coke and I'd slam it and I'd be like, oh, it's so good. And then carry one with you to go. Oh yeah, I'd take them to work, put them in the fridge, drink coffee. And I mean, I was just dehydrating myself to no end. But I didn't, at the time I was... That's what I drank. I drank Diet Coke. I didn't, no one ever, I mean, it, it should kind of be like a no brainer, like drink water. <laughs> they, they, I didn't. I was like, is Diet Coke friend. is everything. Well, I mean, it, the thing is, it's a life lesson that you learn. Just imagine yeah. that there are people that have been doing that same shit and it's been 20 plus years they've been yeah. doing the same shit so just, just imagine what their organs look like now Ooh. i mean yeah like for example you talked about how like now your ex is like a little bit on the overweight side yeah he might be still doing the same thing he might still be drinking, drinking. soda yeah yeah well he's sodas. an emergency veterinarian so he works nights and weekends and it's so funny because i belonged to his wife's um Facebook page too and it was so funny because people were like well where's Keith and she's like working as always and I was like that was my whole thing that was the reason I didn't want to have kids with him is that he works nights and weekends which means during the day he needs to sleep and so it would be so that's the thing is that I would be I, it would almost like it would have been like being a single mom and never having Christmas wow. or Thanksgiving or anything because he always worked every holiday, and then he was doing fifty-two hour shifts sometimes where he'd work Jesus. Friday night at five until Monday morning at eight. So and that was pretty normal. And then I would go to the hospital and sleep there. But then he changed hospitals. He became the chief of staff or at a different place, and they wouldn't let me sleep there. They were not cool with it. And so that's what sort of when our relationship started breaking down was when I wasn't allowed to be at his hospital at night. And so I just went out and partied. I'm like, fuck this. I'm not going to, what, am I going to sit like, at home alone? It felt alone? like you were single. You. Yeah, it did. It did. And I started going out with my friend, uh, the Meeks, and we were just going out every night. And then he'd come home in the morning and we'd, we'd be in bed, she and I, and he would be pissed because he's like, I want to sleep. And it'd be like, get in between us. And he was like, that's weird. And I'm like, look, we're both hot ladies. Actually, that's not weird. Yeah, exactly. What's wrong with you? He'd get so mad at me because I'd go out and be drinking and having fun. And he was at work. Well, and I what was are like, you supposed to do? Yeah. You already got off your at work early. Yeah. And then it's just like, am I supposed to? I'm not going to wait for you because by the time I wait, I'll be in bed. Right. It, well, no, I mean, I'd be waking up and I'd be going to work the next day and he'd be coming home. And it was like, oh, that's up. we yeah. just, I just didn't see the point in having kids with him because I was going to have to raise them on my own. And I didn't want kids. This was before I did comedy. And it was before, it was when I started writing novels. And I was like, I, I, I wanted 
I don't know. I just saw something bigger for myself. I just didn't want to be that person that has kids and then hates their kids and their children grow up knowing that their mom hates them without hating them, like without saying like you're a piece of dog shit, but in that the idea that mommy could have been something if you hadn't come. Now, I could have kids. I'm not going to be anything. I'm, well, I guess I got a radio station. I never would have had this if I had kids. I'd never be able to do this right. and do comedy and do all that stuff if I had Or children. if you had a corporate job. Yeah, or if I had a corporate job or any of that. But if I had, if I had kids, it would be all about their dreams and whatever they wanted. And so I was afraid that I would subconsciously transfer to them an idea that I hated them and that their existence you have to live through them yeah well their existence is the reason that I never became what I wanted to be and then that probably that energy would be a little bit negative toward them I'd I'd be so pissed and they'd hear me at night I'd be like I'm never gonna be it and I'm sure I'd have nervous breakdowns I'd be like I'm never gonna I just wanna sing karaoke and he'd be like my ex-husband didn't like it when I sang karaoke because he didn't like people giving me attention that bothered him and I was like do you know me why did you marry me like what did you I've always like what (laughs) but I could I just I felt like I felt like I would ruin children because, you know. Selfishness. I, well, I never would have been able to go to graduate school if I had kids. And I knew that. And I was like, it would have been, I would have been like the world's best mom and I'm totally crazy and I hate my life and I just love my kids. I love my kids. Everything is about my kids. And that would have been me. I would have been the ultimate stage mom. It would have been the worst. <laughs> it would have been terrible. I would have been, I mean. Hey, stage mom, do you have any POT? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can smoke the pots. Uh, just, yeah, let's. Uh, that's, that's something that, as parents, you wouldn't be able to do for nine months. I no, that's the thing. As I would, I don't, I don't believe that. I think that, I think that eating marijuana, I don't think that's a problem when you have some an in utero kind of situation. I don't, I wouldn't see that as a problem I w- whatsoever. I, I, I wouldn't trust. I mean, I would be. I wouldn't those- smoke it because. Smoke is lungs and stuff. I don't know why, but I I wouldn't have a problem with. I couldn't. Let's let's look that up. Well, yeah. Let's listen well, to this. Oh, this isn't a good song. This is just sort of like weird background. <laughs> it's the Kobe. wind. She's like the wind. <sighs> yeah.
one. All right, prenatal exposure. I've got it. Right. It's not good. The lasting impacts of prenatal cannabis exposure and the role of uh, associated with abnormal amygdala dopamine D2 gene expression in the human fetus. Wow. Along with it is only one of two human studies to date that prescribe changes in neurotransmitter signaling by as early as mid-gestation in response to PME. Uh, prenatal exposure to cannabis affects the developing brain. This is interesting. This is really recent. Uh, here we go. <laughs> I've got the weirdest things up in my head. I've got Chinese slavery in China. Starch for prostitute. Pot in utero. And this is from the scientist exploring life, inspiring innovation. Prenatal exposure to cannabis affects the developing brain. Uh, it's really good that I didn't have any kids because I'd be smoking pot all the time. Uh, we live, see. <laughs> right? Like, I'd be like, I don't give a fuck. I'm fucking, t- I'm going to be high all the time. That's kind of some choices I made with my life. We live in a Medicaid. Oh, here. Children born to moms who smoked or ingested marijuana during pregnancy suffer higher rates of depression, hyperactivity, and inattention. Interesting. We live in a medicated era. Recent data indicate that more than half of Americans are currently taking prescription drugs. Among pregnant women, this number skyrockets to more than 80%. One of these women was 24-year-old from California named Carol, who I befriended through an online drug research forum. After weeks of debilitating morning sickness, persistent pain in her back and hips, and chronic anxiety about becoming a mother, Carol was taking a tranquilizer called Alprazolam. Oh, benzodiazepines. It's in the Tupam family. Alprazolam. It's a, I'm I'm just letting you know because I love benzodiazepines. It's a long, it's a long-lived, long-acting benzodiazepine. uh, uh, Benzodiazepine. As needed, plus daily doses of acetaminophen and an anti-nausea drug called metoclopramide. Metoclopramide is great. Um, We used to take it to Burning Man because it makes you um, not nauseous and it also makes you not poop. Um, So we take metoclopramide because... We, I wouldn't, I couldn't handle the porta potties at Burning Man, and so you just take metoclopramide and you don't poop for four days. It's great. <laughs> Carol felt uneasy using the medications, like many Americans and even greater proportion of Europeans. Carol, who asked I not use her surname, favors home remedies over pharmaceutical treatments. I'll always choose tea over a pill, she said. And so, as as she sought relief during her pregnancy, she turned to marijuana, as I would, dear Carol. The <laughs> In the summer of 2007, Carol was surrounded by people touting the wonders of cannabis as a panacea for diseases from depression to glaucoma and myriad ailments and in between, including nausea, pain, and anxiety. Worried that her suboptimal suboptimal diet and poor sleep could be affecting the development of her child, she considered using small amounts of cannabis instead of the multiple prescription medications suggested by her doctor. Instead of two or three pills per day, I could have a little bit of pot in the morning, she recalls thinking at the time, and everyone agreed it was harmless. Weighing the option, Carol decided that while she would prefer to consume neither prescription drugs nor cannabis, the latter was the lesser of two evils. It seemed natural, she said. Now with a 10-year-old son who suffers from attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and behavioral problems at school, she wonders if the choice she made had come back to haunt her. 
Epidemiologists are looking into the concerns of such parents such as Carol. Various large-scale longitudinal research projects on both North America and Europe, ranging from several hundred to several thousand subjects on cannabis use during pregnancy, point to a number of potential consequences, including hyperactivity in children. The problems start early. This is with weed, right? This is with weed. Oh, the shit. problems start early. Exposed infants are more likely than unexposed babies to have low birth weights and spend time in neonatal and neonatal intensive care and troubles can last into adulthood higher rates of depression and drug abuse are among the health issues most commonly linked with maternal cannabis use research that can address the causal nature of these links is still in infancy <laughs> however the status of cannabis as a schedule one substance in the u.s makes it tough to get a approval for experiments for this and other reasons research on the incorporation of the drug in western medicine is relatively new as well this means that conventional health practitioners receive little if any information that they can pass on to their patients including those considering the use of cannabis during pregnancy it's no wonder then that 70% of women in the United States believe there is slight or no risk of harm in using cannabis during pregnancy. And about 4% of pregnant women in the U.S. report using the drug during gestation, just like Carol. Of expectant moms between the ages of 18 and 25, this number is nearly 7.5%. With a growing national and global acceptance of marijuana use, research on the effects of cannabis exposure during pregnancy is more urgent now than ever. So it's funny because people won't drink during pregnancy. Like everyone knows you don't drink when, you, when you're pregnant. That's bad. Drinking, smoking is bad. Drinking is bad. But I would ever would have thought that, I'm like, cannabis use, fine. I mean... I have that joke about breastfeeding and instead of pump and dump, pump and make TH cheese because I, I have so much marijuana in my body that if I pump my breasts, there'd obviously be marijuana in my boob milk. So, I mean, I don't know. ADHD, every kid's got ADHD. That's because we give them a cell phone when they're six. So of course they have ADHD because they're looking at porn when they're 12. Yeah, because they, you know, it's like, come on. I think it's, I don't think it's the marijuana use in pregnancy, but maybe I'm wrong. I think you're wrong. You, you can't, no. It's the smoke, it's the THC that probably affects the kids. So, maybe. I mean, anytime you're putting something like that is not, I mean, this is natural, I kids, yes. Kids don't have an endocannabinoid system, though, so they can't get high. That's what I learned. Yeah, but this is science, so it's, it, I, 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 I don't fuck with science. Science, cannabis, and the prenatal brain. Here we go. Researchers identified cannabinoids as one group of pharmacologically active compounds in marijuana in 1940, but it was another half a century before they confirmed the existence of an endocannabinoid system, ECS. I love that I know what the fuck I'm talking about. I just told you endocannabinoid you system. This. It's just there. Yes. The existence of an endocannabinoid system. Over the course of about three years in the early 1990s, neuroscientists discovered the first cannabinoid receptor, CB1R, in mammals, cloned both the rat and human variants, and identified a second cannabinoid receptor, CB2R. Later, the first endogenous, endogenous cannabinoid was identified and named anatomide after the Sanskrit word for bliss. Very nice. Researchers have since characterized a second primary endocannabinoid, 2-AG, known to bind these receptors plus a host of additional endogenous molecules that interact in other ways with the endocannabinoid system. 
Scientists have also identified the enzymes that synthesize and degrade these compounds along with a number of additional purative cannabinoid receptors. I think there's 52 active cannabinoids in the plant that they've they've decided now or... Sorry. Oh, no, that's great. Identified as the brain's most widely expressed G protein coupled receptor, CB1R, acts to regulate body temperature, relay hunger signals, and process sensory input with hand in countless other physiological and cognitive states. Cannabis contains at least 108. I was wrong. Here we go. I thought there were only uh, 52, but cannabis contains at least 108 um, exogenous cannabinoids including delta 9 thc which binds to cb1r to cause the high associated with the drug along with dozens of other pharmacologically active compounds such as terpenes and flavonoids these interact with the endocannabinoid system to cause an altered psychological state and mediate myriad other effects in the drug uh, affects the drug in both brain and body when marijuana is ingested or smoked during pregnancy, exogenous cannabinoids enter the blood and cross easily through the placental barrier due to their highly lipophilic nature because they're fat and alcohol soluble. Um, and I guess there's a lot of fat when you're having a baby. Pairing this readily avail- this ready availability with slow pharmacokinetics, active metabolites continue circulating for up to five days depending on dosage and frequency of use. Fetal exposure to the active compounds in cannabis is both efficient and prolonged. It should therefore be expected that the exposure can profoundly influence the development of the endocannabinoid system. To date... The three largest longitudinal studies of the children of women who smoked marijuana once a week uh, or more during their pregnancies have identified remarkably consistent outcomes during early development and through young adulthood. In infants, these include increased impulsivity, hyperactivity, and delinquent behaviors, as well as memory dysfunction and decreased IQ scores. (gasps) During adolescence and early adulthood, fetal cannabis exposure has been linked to persistent reduction in memory and concentration, higher rates of drug use, and an increased incidence of hyperactivity, signs of depression, and psychotic and schizophrenic-like symptoms. These mental health issues are further evidenced by increased reports from both parents and school teachers of problematic behavior and delinquency in cannabis-exposed kids. Yikes! Can- this is all because of cannabis. This is all because of cannabis. They're saying if you, if these are women who smoked once a week or more during pregnancy, and they have, I mean, decreased IQ scores. Whoa! You know what I'm thinking about? Because then. It- didn't uh, women smoke until like the 1960s, early 70s? Well, too? cigarettes, absolutely. Yeah, cig- yeah, because the Surgeon General's warning didn't come out until like the late 60s, 70s. Well, correct? women used to be prescribed cigarettes yeah. to lose weight, especially after baby weight, when you'd have a baby. And then you're, pro- then you're giving your child secondhand smoke, which is awful, because everyone used to smoke inside in those days. Exactly. And in the mall and all that stuff. So... Wow. But they're saying that it's the placental barrier. So if you're eating it or you're smoking it, it's a thin barrier because of the because it's fat soluble and it goes right to the baby. I mean, it makes sense. It's the same reason why you don't drink because you get your baby drunk, and th- and <laughs> and why you don't smoke because you give your baby nicotine. That's why you don't do crack because they get addicted to motherfucking crack or drink 
like you know yeah. when you're pregnant yeah. now they say that you can have a small glass of wine yeah the but, french are doing it that's but fine. yeah but you know what i don't i wouldn't risk it i wouldn't risk it that's I wouldn't just risk me. it no i i'd immediately i mean i'd it's uh, one of the three large-scale projects, Ottawa Prenatal Perspective Study, which began following approximately 700 pregnant cannabis users in 1978, has tracked nearly 200 of the offspring from the neonatal period into adulthood oh, oh. and has identified persistent effects ranging from changes in cortical function to higher rates of drug abuse, even in maturity, compared with controls. In men, for example, regular use of marijuana as well as daily tobacco use are more than twice as likely for those exposed to cannabis in the womb. Data on adults from the two other longitudinal studies, the Generation R study in the Netherlands that is currently tracking nearly, nearly 8,000 children and the Maternal Health Practices and Child Development Study in the Western Psychiatric Institute and Clinic in Pittsburgh has is that is following 580 teenagers have yet to emerge. But with the persistent and significant changes already seen at multiple ages across nations, spanning economic and social strata, more links between human health and maternal cannabis would, use would not be surprising. The nature of the relationship remains unclear, however. Moreover, quantifying marijuana intake is riddled with challenges. The potency of cannabis, as well as the ratio to various active cannabinoids that it contains, is extremely variable. For example, no research... So researchers cannot yet say with confidence how doses of the drug influence these correlations. Now, researchers in the laboratory are linking observations concerning mental health with biological mechanisms involved in cannabis use to get a better handle of the risks of using the drug while pregnant. Um, exogenous cannabinoids in the endogenous system. To root out the cellular and molecular mechanisms that might underlie the epidemiological patterns seen in humans exposed to cannabis in utero, researchers are turning to experiments with rodents. Researchers oh. now know that the endocannabinoid system plays a significant role in development of the central nervous system and pert perturbations of this system in developing mice and rats are associated with lasting disruptions to cell differentiation and neural migration, critical steps in the formation of a functional brain. CB1Rs are present in the hu human cerebellum by the first weeks of the second trimester, and many studies have shown that CBR1 knockout mice show significant behavioral problems. <gasps> They're doing it in mice. They've got... Early development, hyperactivity, anxiety up, synapse formation, glutamine signaling in prefrontal cortex and dopamine D2 receptors levels in brain are down and have reduced birth rate in adolescence. Their anxiety goes up. The memory consolidation and socialization goes down. And in adulthood, socialization is down. Anxiety is up. Opioid seeking is up. Short-term memory is down. Synaptic plasticity is down. There's genetic expression, opioid receptor abundance in the prefrontal cortex and a neuroendocrine signal in the hypothalamus. And that is in mice. And they're saying it's happening in humans too. Wow. And this wow. is a study, the 1978? This is, well, they're saying it's the night, there are two studies that are coming out right now, yeah. but this is from January 2019 okay. from The Scientist, Exploring Life, Inspiring Innovation. Wow, wow, wow. So you still want to smoke weed when you get pregnant, huh? Well, I'm not going to get pregnant, but I, <laughs> I mean, wouldn't. I'll yeah. tell people, don't do it. Don't do it, man. Just say no. Well, you know, here's the thing is people always say, um, and they've said for years that smoking weed makes you dumb. But to that, I say, you know, I got two master's degrees and I smoke pot every but day. But your bane is, the thing is like, 
I've memorized they, a script. Well, here's the difference is when you if you're smoking and you're pregnant the weed that is that that brain is not developed right yeah. there's forms of life that have not been developed yet and you do not want to put any kind of substance that will that will actually fuck that up retard the word is retard retard yes. retard retard retardation slow down and it's not going to grow as it's not it's not going to grow at the right rate there's low birth rate there's all these issues wow scientist i had no idea <laughs> she learned today <laughs> i did no it's good gotta learn i mean but that's that's the thing is that i can add that to my i have a joke about not wanting to have a kid 17 17 year late-term abortion blah 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 it's a funny <laughs> abortion joke and it's about because i love to drink but now i know too like wow i well and this is a funny thing so when the woman here carol who was diagnosed they gave her um they gave her benzodiazepines. So benzodiazepines aren't good for the baby either. Like if you give someone um, drugs, right? If you give someone um, any of the two Pam family, Valium, you know, any of the benzodiazepines, uh, Xanax, that can't be good for the baby. I don't either. think you're supposed to use. Is it Tylenol or ibuprofen when you're pregnant? One yeah. of those you, I believe, you can't use. I'm sure that yeah. anything is. I, and that's why people ask about is your you know if certain cheeses if they're unpasteurized oh, or pasteurized right, you know right, when it comes right, to like yeah, diet yeah, yeah. you know dietary stuff you yeah, know there's yeah, certain yeah. things like seafood you don't right 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 mercury levels mercury levels yeah like I would if I was to get pregnant my seafood intake would have to be cut down dramatically and possibly my cheese intake so not only yeah. am I losing my weed my booze I'm losing my fish yeah. and my cheese it's a lot so I mean. It's, but it's it is nine months. I, Ho hopefully you don't have a preemie. How do people love their children? I, I mean, just because I'd be like, look what you did to me. You ruined I, my body. But it's I also made a, you you ungrateful pile my of dog thing shit. Is, I think I think the beauty of that part of like cutting things that you normally would do for nine months, which is a short span of your life, I think it teaches people discipline, and I that's the part I appreciate, because I've actually seen some pregnant women like have a cigarette, and I would look at them, Ooh. and I'm just like I, I'm one of those people that will judge if I see you lighten up and you pregnant, or if you're lighting up and you have a small child in a stroller, I'm looking at you crazy I know, because I'm too. just like I'm like. Is this bitch really smoking in front of her like six month year old? Exactly. And that that child's brain and everything else is not developed. Secondhand yet. smoke ain't yeah. good. This is very funny because this goes to my joke about breast milk, THGs, the future with cannabis. The problem of infant cannabis exposure extends well beyond pregnancy. THC and its lipophilic cannabinoid analogs are readily transferred through breast milk of humans and other mammals. And the animal studies have pointed to these compounds influence influence on the development through the pre-weaning stage. Worse yet, given that these cannabinoids linger in the body for weeks, the pump and dump approach often <laughs> employed... I'm sorry, the pump and... You know what they call pump and dump now, right? It's a sex... No, they I use don't it know. sexually now. Oh, that's to, funny. Just take an idea, pump and dump. I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. I, I only I only know because of breast milk. That's what they call it when you drink alcohol. You pump and dump so that you don't give the baby. They, they the call breast it milk. pump and dump now when you're having sex, and then I, dumping is the sperm. Oh, I see. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> often employed to avoid feeding alcohol-laden milk to an infant isn't as effective for cannabis users. A Friday night joint can continue to deliver active cannabinoids through the breast milk through the weekend and into the next week. So my joke totally holds water. I'm so glad that my science holds water. <laughs> 
I think that we should be feeding goats weed. I think that we should be giving goats trash weed and then taking their milk and making it into TH cheese. I think I'm a genius. Oh yeah, you've been I've talked yeah, about many times. And, and many that's years. a thing and I've got many years. Years. <laughs> I, I, absolutely. I think that it's crazy that we're not if we are we know that the transferred through the breast milk of humans and other mammals. Why are we not feeding cow, cows eat cud, cows eat grass. You know what else they can eat? Pesticides. Weeds. Yeah, but exactly. But, 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 but it's healthy. I mean, honestly, if cows ate weed, I mean, they'd have. It's weed better all than any fucking weed. pesticide. It'd be so great. Estimates for transfer efficiency through breast milk range from less than one percent to more than ten percent of levels found in maternal blood, leading to measurable quantities of THC in the urine of infants during the first weeks of feeding from a mother who has smoked or ingested cannabis. Once again, due to the variable potency of cannabis in addition to other factors, knowing the exact amount of THC that enters the infant remains an open question. Yeah, if you be dabbing, baby, if you're doing dabs <coughs> and you and then you pump or you uh, give your baby breast milk, whoa, we're going to have a hot baby. <laughs> this baby's hot. Um, Plump and dump. I love this. Plump However, preliminary dump. results in other labs indicate that even small quantities, as such those used for therapeutic rather than recreational purposes, caused a significant and lasting change in the neuronal development in rats, including delayed maturation of prefrontal cortex networks. Earlier studies have documented the increased ultrasonic vocalizations, an indication of elevated stress, in rat pups that ingested milk from THC-treated mothers, while multiple longitudinal studies in rodents have demonstrated that the offspring exhibit increased opioid-seeking behaviors, as well as higher rates of opioid cell administration because they get high when they're babies so i was taught i was taught from my from my weed friends that <laughs> you can't get high until you're in your teens because your endocannabinoid system is not developed but it what they're saying now is that if you do weed in utero that you, the baby does de it develops the endocannabinoid system early so they can get high which is like what because i was taught that kids can't get high but now it's I'm, but now they can they can absolutely get high and this is why you don't okay it's okay this okay I'm about to go into another drug where this is why it's inappropriate to put your kids on this Ritalin yeah I mean we're just talking about marijuana you know but kids get I mean sugar and Ritalin yeah I mean, well, I just wanted to throw I just wanted to throw that out there. A lot of times hyperactivity can have a lot to do with their diet and we feed our kids shitty food and we feed them really simple carbohydrates that break down and turn into sugar and milk just turns into sugar. Sugar, mm -hmm. sugar, 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 sugar. And so if we're like pew 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 and then the and then you give them Ritalin to slow that I mean, if you if we didn't give kids any sugar and it was just the natural sugars that were in fruits or something it would change the whole game and you might not even need the Ritalin. But we jack them up on sugar and then we calm them down with these um, with speed, which is weird. <laughs> but that's that's the thing is if your brain chemistry is off, for whatever reason, when you give them Ritalin or Adderall, it does the opposite. It has the opposite effect of speed. So if you do, like my ex-husband was ADD because he could do a line of cocaine and fall asleep. Oh, and if you, he if was you used know, to it. Right. Well, yeah. no, because it's because of ADD. If you if you oh, actually ADD? legitimately okay. have ADD and you take speed, it focuses you and calms you down and you're fine. You can even sleep on it. It's crazy. But if you I have slept on cocaine. So if you take speed and it that means that you're not ADD or ADHD because 
it somehow there's an opposite effect of it or it's a brain chemistry thing. Um, but I don't think any of that, I've always been interested in the long-term effects of Ritalin because when we start giving it to kids when they're like six or seven and they're taking it when they're adults, what's going on with their kidneys? What's uh, going on with their livers? It's, it's not, it's not, it's not healthy. Um, I come from definitely the age of the Ritalin kids. Yeah. The 80, like I'm an eighties kid. So our gener- well, the mo- early millennials were really fucked up and that's what yeah. the time when like kids, their parents were giving them Ritalin nonstop. Those would be the people that I would do the hardcore drugs with. Yeah. Because honestly, I, a lot of my friends had ADHD and had Ritalin. And to me, it was just like a little gateway for them to go to the dark side for real. And this is this is crazy them, what this is saying. This is saying that their liver that Ritalin may cause b- blood pressure to elevate. If you have underlying blood pressure issue, it should be monitored and treated appropriately. Otherwise, there should be no direct effect of methylphenolate, which is Ritalin, on the kidney function. Really? Long-term effects and risks of ADHD drugs. Here we go. This I'm I'm interested in. I, I can't believe we're not a lot that pregnant women can't do any pot anymore. I mean, I guess it, it makes, I guess it, it's, yeah, don't do, how about this? Hey ladies, if you're out there and you're listening to this, if you're pregnant, don't do, eat, have a smoothie. Uh, don't drink coffee. Don't, don't have caffeine. You're not don't, really supposed to have caffeine either. No, you're not supposed you, to, you're yeah. supposed to be clean. Like your, like your body is a little, it's making a tiny thing and it's a machine that's making a little machine. It's an organic machine that you're making. And then you honestly, you don't want to have any of that stuff while you're breastfeeding either. But to you, to your mothers out there that have little infant children and small ones, toddlers and shit, do not be smoking in front of your child Mm -hmm. and blowing it in their way. I don't care if you're not carrying that little spawn. Do not be smoking. It is secondhand smoke. It's what do bad. you think it's a, a three-year-old, three-year-old's body is still sensitive? Yeah, it's still in lungs. development. Yeah. And for you to like be smoking, and because you know if they're smoking outside near, you know, um, as they're pushing their stroller, you know they're definitely smoking in the house. Probably constantly gross that's i i even when i see children if i'm smoking i hide it now, and i usually only smoke at the bar so it's not like there are any children there but i was having a cigarette outside of here outside of the station the other day and a lady walked by with kids and i like i like hide it but sort of and i'm sure that they know but i don't want them to think it's cool well, like i just too, don't it's polite to not have the smoke going toward them sure i mean people hide it because it's like I thought people hit it because it was just a polite gesture. Oh, I just don't of, want the kids to think it's cool. And I know that when kids see me, they're like, she's cool. And so I don't, I don't, want, I don't want them to. <laughs> Come uh, inside. I'll show you how real cool yeah, she is. I'm like, <laughs> like, smells like weed in here. Uh, there's this one last little um, closer on this, uh, on this thing from the scientist. Whether this is due to availability or changes in social acceptance is difficult to ascertain, but the trend is clear. As cannabis use becomes increasingly acceptable and widespread, maternal use is likely to follow suit. Research and public education must now be prioritized to inform future options on the safety or lack thereof of consuming cannabis during pregnancy as well as during breastfeeding. All right. I mean, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. I think that I didn't. I didn't know. Okay. I feel the dumb. The more I'd be you like, know. Knowing is no. Wait, wait. Knowing is half the battle. Go, Joe. <laughs> Ooh, we need to get into some impeachment shit. 
before this hell yeah this tell prego, me what's going on the I pregno session i haven't been paying attention because i haven't I've been, been paying attention rehearsal. as much either because it, it it's a uh, it's it's i don't know okay so um so yesterday well today in the news of the impeachment real reality show the democrats hammer case against trump and senate trial opening arguments so yes we're we're going through the impeachment in the house right now so now we're we're in the house so we can go to the senate and oh mitch mcconnell last uh, yesterday was doing some shady shit um something about he was something about <gasps> yeah, the rules of- the first two days of trump's senate impeachment trial proved how dishonest this process is going to be ah oh, shit uh oh. As the as the impeachment turns, and this is from UK news, so you know it's fucking true, right? Yeah, we're not at CNN. Yeah, uh, yesterday was the first full day of Trump's impeachment trial, the third in American history. It also marks the third anniversary of Trump's full day as president. Boo. That day, then press secretary Sean Spicer told the Trump administration's the first lie by claiming Trump had quote the largest audience to ever witness an inauguration period in honor of the occasion president trump's lawyers began this impeachment trial by essentially telling the senate and american people not to believe their eyes and ears you may have seen some coverage depicting the start of this trial as a bitter circus with both sides going into their partisan corners this is falsely equivalent framing the dishonest and undignified behavior was far from equal house democrats represented the interests of the u.s constitution senate republicans represented the interests of the president and president trump's impeachment lawyers represented a false reality upheld by a foundation of fox news enabled disinformation day one was focused on debating the rules of the trial proceeding senate majority leader mitch mcconnell die was forced to make two key changes due to pressure from more moderate republicans rather than 24 hours and two days of debate allocated to each side the debate will now be spread across three days and the house impeachment evidence will be automatically entered into the senate record but there will be no witnesses sought at the onset of the trial, what? even though a majority of Americans want them. Yeah. Senate Republicans claimed this is the Clinton impeachment precedent. But during that trial, there wasn't a White House that stonewalled all witnesses and documents from the House impeachment inquiry. Yeah. What followed was more than 12 hours of debate on McConnell's resolution starting shortly after 1 p.m. It ended about 2 a.m. this morning, with all 53 Senate Republicans voting against every amendment presented by the Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, seeking witnesses and documents. The end result is, of course, important, as Senate Republicans definitively proved they do not want to guarantee the American people a fair trial. But what happened during those 12 hours of debate must not be ignored or accepted as normal. Led by Republican Adam Schiff, the House impeachment managers made a compelling argument. Yeah, from California. Made compelling arguments outlying the evidence their House impeachment inquiry uncovered while making a case for the inclusion of new witnesses and documentary evidence. They argued that every impeachment trial in the Senate has ever held heard witnesses, with the average number of witnesses heard at each trial being 33. In opposition to those proposed amendments, President Trump's impeachment lawyers made weak arguments that mostly fell apart under scrutiny, at times outright lying. Early in the day, White House pa- counsel Pat Cipollone 
claimed not even Mr. Schiff's Republican colleagues were allowed into the SCIF. This is a blatant lie. Cipollone was talking about the House impeachment inquiries closed door depositions that did, in fact, include Republicans. Schiff, who chairs the House Intelligent Committee, where the depositions were held, struck back, joking, quote, with respect to those secret hearings that counsel keeps referring to, those secret depositions in the House were so secret that only 100 members of Congress were able to be there and participate. Only 100. That's how secret that chamber was. It's not very secret. That (laughs) exchange was a microcosm of how the day went. House impeachment managers made compelling argument for while particular witnesses or a trove of documents should be sought. Trump's impeachment lawyers then made false or misleading arguments which blasted the House impeachment process and distorted the evidence. This was then followed by strong rebuttals from Schiff. That cycle repeated for most of the 12 hours. Mm -hmm. Many of the assertions made by Trump's impeachment lawyers were undercut by the Trump administration's own actions. Schiff pointed out that while Trump's impeachment lawyers are arguing the House should let the court decide on witnesses, the Department of Justice is simultaneously arguing the opposite. Trump's lawyers claim that House Democrats didn't accumulate enough evidence when it's the White House who blocked all documents and firsthand witnesses in the first place. Trump's lawyers said House Democrats held a one-sided process that prevented prevented the president from participating when it was the White House who refused House invitations to participate. Trump's lawyers went on to recite the same false four impeachment defenses Republicans pushed during the House proceedings. In spite of these arguments, which were patently made in bad faith, Senate Republicans still approved McConnell's resolution. This is ridiculous. That's exactly the thing. They said, hey, hey, Trump, you want to come in and talk to us? And they said, no, 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 you can't have anyone. You can't have anyone. You can't have anyone. And then at the end, he's like, so they were there a little hearing. They They didn't invite us. Yeah. And it's like, you liars. Lying liars. This is all false. This is all fake. We're going to get fucked. We're all getting fucked right now. The world is coming to an end. It's all about money and these rich fucks. He's not even a rich fuck. Here's the thing. Rich people, why do they not have to pay taxes? Why doesn't he have to pay taxes? Show us your taxes. Show us your taxes. Show us your fucking taxes. Show us your New York taxes. Show us how you made money being the president. That's an impeachable offense. Making money because of your presidency is impeachable, which is why in the first place we didn't let Carnegie Mellon be a fucking president. We said no because of monopolies and because of of being a corporation, being... He's a liar and he's, he's a thief. He's a, he's a useful idiot because they know he's they can get whatever they they can they know they can get anything they want from him because he's so dumb. Mm. He doesn't even realize he's getting taken advantage of. And so does the the cult members. Cult the members. cult members and that includes people in the republic most actually the Republican party's everyone. Right. Every think about it. Mm-hmm. They 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 are First of all, a lot of these Republicans weren't uh, about democracy in the first place. They've been, I mean, they've been trying to take voters' rights away. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, so they... They They don't want black people to vote. They don't want democracy, period. They don't want Asians to vote. They don't want the young Young college. Yeah, Not people with ideals. Not people that... The thing is that it's all about money. And when you have a new group of people, the young kids that are like, you know what? It's all about the future. It's all about global warming. And they're like, no, there's no global warming. Buy a car. You're taking money out my pocket. Buy, buy a car that but that's the thing is like global warming has a lot to do with excess and making more clothes and enslaving people to make clothes and buy 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 and an iPhone 10 iPhone 11 the thing is if we 
if we changed capitalism and we, I mean, it's we go back to the hoarder defense. There are over 25 million hoarders in the United States. It's a fucking disease that's created it's by created. excess. We have hoarders. We have two, 25 million people are trapped in their own homes because they have so much it's fucking stuff. stuff. Are you fucking kidding me? But, but I mean... It, but but the, the, they the, love them the, because the, they buy the, things. The, 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 but do they really want us to buy things? Yes. Because, no, no, no. The reason why I'm asking because they don't know what supply and demand is in economics 101. When you, they're the ones that are looking for cheap labor. They're the ones who cut down people's uh, wages. They don't. Uh, they don't want to hike ta- taxes up so you can get free health care. I mean. So, oh my God! I mean, tax what, it, the rich. That's so, what they're there and for. And they don't want that either. So you want to tax the poor people who could make you more money. So the reason why I don't think they even they're not even thinking about the big picture economically because if you cut people's wages if you don't tax the one percenters and corporations if you don't give people a fair wage and better health care how are you supposed to economically get people to work so they can make the money so they can spend the money you can't spend money when you don't have it you it, and the, the, this is why it's just it doesn't make sense. That's why I don't feel like they care about people buying stuff. They care about themselves and them and being in the one percent club or the ten percent or the twenty percent club sure. that can afford that. Lot. We're just the peasants. We are the. They're peasants. not. They're not worried about us buying stuff. But we. But, but economically, we buy things because if you once you get sick, and then you're in the medical community. And, and here's here's something else. Pills. We're buying less stuff now too because look at all the malls that are closing. We're both mostly buying our stuff online too but we i mean a lot of have you seen how empty the mall is getting over here just for example which means when you have stores closed that means jobs go away absolutely and so when jobs go away where's that paycheck going i can't spend money on stuff yeah exactly i can barely spend money on rent and now they're trying to take that away and then they've cut into the food stamps pro the snap i lost um I used to be at 167 a month, and starting in January, I got moved to 125, and my income was the same. They just cut food stamps. Yeah, I mean, so they, they just, cut me. What is that? 40 bucks? I mean, whatever. Cut me 40 it's, bucks. It's 40 fine. bucks that could be well used. Well, and it's good for the economy because it's 40 bucks that goes right into the store. <laughs> like it goes right to wherever it's. So that's that's why yeah. everything they they're the conservative. This is not being conservative. This is just being stingy yeah. by this point. And so when it comes to them wanting you to buy things they don't it's no it's all about them yeah. i mean but here's how here's where the joke is on them because there's more of us right. than them and so how check out <laughs> this just, argument we have 8500 questionably housed people in san francisco what if they all what if they became the biggest gang? We don't have enough police. Like, if our Ooh. homeless population could fucking get it together. <laughs> That's like some escape from New York shit. Right? <laughs> There's 8,500 of them. They, they could, could easily overpower the city. There's not enough cops. Like, no. if they had... Right? That's <laughs> they could turn it to a gold gang. They could start a coup in San Francisco. Well, that's the whole thing is that, you know, that 47% of our buildings are empty right now. 47%. Wow. And yet... 
there are 8,500 people living on the street. And there's more buildings being built. And there's more buildings being built. So what the fuck? Like, can we put some people in some houses well, we, before they rise up against Francisco, us and take over the city? The Bay Area, don't get it twisted, y'all. This bubble's about to pop. Pop, 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 pop. Yeah. I mean, seriously, if you're already saying there's 47% of, especially I know that's mostly new housing, too. It's all kinds of um, it's, they're empty. Fifty. When you have fifty percent of buildings in a seven by seven city that are empty, forty-seven. Yeah. Have you, you walked down Castro Street lately? Oh yeah. It's it's, it's like every other store is closed. There used yeah. to be coffee shops closed. There used to be bakeries closed. On Market closed. right there and Castro. All of that. It's oh Market and Castro is starting to look like a ghost town. Well, and if like you right walk, by that mobile. Yeah, there used to be a cookie store. There was like if you walk down Castro, every other building is vacant because no one can afford the rent. How can you afford to have a business? The thing is, if your rent is $6,000 a month, that means you have to make, you have to sell $6,000 of coffee or bagels or whatever the fuck you're selling. You think those storefronts are mostly $6,000? That's a steal. Well, that's the thing, though. Oh, let's say let's say that they're, they're eight thousand. How can anyone make? What are you selling? Let me see what the average of ridding of. Uh, Absolutely, I'm interested. Oh, and so we'll look that up. Uh, we'll remind everybody that this impeachment is a hoax. It's ridiculous. It's I don't think hoax. he's gonna get. I don't think he's gonna get impeached. He's gonna get impeached by the House, but the Senate, no. He's not gonna get. He's not. He's not gonna. It's not gonna pass through the Senate. But here's something with the Democrats. The y'all need to grow a pair. Y'all, I don't know what's we going on. We need to grow up there. I'm, I've been not wa- watching the up. news as much or reading, watching the, uh, reading the news as much because it's exhausting. Oh, absolutely. It brings negative negativity into my my life, and I already oh, live 100%. in San Francisco. Yeah. Wait, hold on. I'm looking for the San Francisco average before we go. Yeah. Uh, storefront rent. This has been the UltaCast. We're going to have the those numbers. Please join us March 1st through 7th here at Mutiny Radio. 66 programs, 76 comics from all over the United States. You can get those tickets on the front page of our website. Go to mutinyradio.fm. I hope that you also download our new app. It's at the iPhone store. I don't know about apps, but it exists. Just look up Mutiny Radio. Download that. You can listen to us for free uh, or on our website mutinyradio.fm if you're listening to that here. And thanks for listening to the AltaCast and every Friday Fantastic's Comedy Clubhouse great comics this Friday is going to be amazing I have a Portland comic calling in uh, Julia Cor- Corral I have Jay Shingle out of Portland and I also have um, she's out of Salem and I can't remember her name right now but it's a really cute name and then uh, also local comedians Cody Abe and Rolf Scar he's hilarious so what's can, the median did it tell you it's going by square foot and we don't have time for that bullshit <laughs> how much is it a square foot uh, it depends it, some, one says like uh, two what is it I found like 230 ah 235 a square foot Hotel, 195. Ooh, let's let's go 200 just to make it easy. Yeah. 200. So this building, what we're in right now is uh, it's probably 20 by 20 by 30. So 200 times 20 by 30 is 60. So uh, by 60. So that would be. $12,000 a month. So if we were to rent this place in the Castro right now, this space itself, it would be $12,000 a month. You said $5,000. And I was thinking five, 6000 No, who can survive? 
Who can survive when rent is that expensive? How how could anybody sell anything? <laughs> I, life is crazy. We'll be back next week Bye. with the Alta Cast. Bye. Peace Bye. your boy Sifo here here to let you know that the fifth annual mutiny radio comedy festival is march 1st through 7th 2020 with special podcasts and comedy shows 10 a.m to 10 p.m all week get your tickets now on eventbrite just search mutiny radio and get ready for 76 comics from all over the u.s coming for 66 programs in seven days all here at 2781 21st street in the heart of the mission or if you can't be with us listen live or podcast from anywhere in the world at www.mutinyradio.fm Join us March 1st to 7th for these amazing events. What kind of a future? Law Tigers, we fight for motorcyclists. We're not just motorcycle lawyers, we're part of the riding community. Law Tigers watches over riders. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, we'll help you get your motorcycle repaired or replaced and assist you with your damaged gear too. We're by your side every step of the way. With the Law Tigers, you never ride alone. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, call 1-800-LAW-TIGERS or visit us on the web at lawtigers.com. The Law Tigers, California's motorcycle lawyer. Victor Terrace, Harris Law Firm, LLP, 180 Permanent Circle, Suite 300, Sacramento, California, 95834. San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Francisco Mutiny Radio Listen to live streaming radio Or download a podcast And you can listen on the go Listen to live streaming radio Or download a podcast And you San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Francisco Mutiny Radio MutinyRadio.fm Why not make a donation? MutinyRadio.fm Streaming live the station MutinyRadio.fm District of the Mission MutinyRadio.fm MutinyRadio.fm Listen to Or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. Look, why not go to mutinyradio.fm, hit the donate button, stream them live, download a podcast, have some fun! Saturday, noon to two. I am a total phony. Laurie Stone, voice is out.
Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for the Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube. We watch the best movies that, uh, aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch What's happening? This is your boy Rob Edwards. I'm here to tell you about the fifth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. It's March 1st through the 7th, 2020, with special podcasts and comedy shows 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. all week long. Get your tickets on Eventbrite. Just search Mutiny Radio and get ready for 76 comments from all over the U.S. Coming for 66 programs in seven days, all here at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission, or listen live or podcast from anywhere in the world at mutinyradio.fm. Join us March 1st through the 7th for these amazing events. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to Joke Workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8 that's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> 